Welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study. It's a delight to have everybody here, brothers and sisters from around the world. And we're going to be looking at uh, the prophetic book of Amos over the next couple of weeks. So it's great that you'll be, be joining us. Brother Michael, lead us off in prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, chiefly for who you are, Lord. In that you have not only given us your word that we may read and study, but you gave us the word, your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we are saved, we are sanctified, and we have his eternal promises to live forever with him and you. Lord, bless our time together. Your word is truth. We can find so much in there, Lord. Open our minds and our hearts and our very spirits to receive these teachings. And bless all those who have gathered together here, Lord. Bless their families. Everything about them, Lord, you have provided and given them. For from you, Father, come all good and perfect things. In the name of Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. So as a, a bit of a background to our prophet, um, Amos is... Um, uh, a, a guy who we actually know very little about. One, because he doesn't do a lot of self-disclosure during his book. Normally, a prophet would, um, uh, or anybody, actually any character, would normally get a, um, a, a genealogy. I am, you know, Amos ben Aharon, you know, and give you a little bit of genealogy. We're not, we're not going to get that. So what we're going to get is um, a prophetic book, although he himself, while he says, in the text, I'm actually not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. Uh, the opening verses are going to say this is actually a vision. He's a chazon. He's actually seen uh, a chazer. A, 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 he's a seer. He sees something about the future, which we'll call prophecy. Now, um, he himself will self-disclose that he's a shepherd and uh, uh, or sh or breeder actually shepherd breeder you know, he actually might actually have quite a, a unique part of the trade uh, where he's actually got a bit of skill to genetically modify flocks over generations uh, he comes from a village um, in called Tekoa which is about maybe 10 miles or so from from Jerusalem um, it's been resettled uh, maybe not as close to, it's not maybe not exactly on top of ancient Tekoa but definitely in the area uh, not far from Efrat, uh, in the Gush Etzion block. Actually, not that far from where um, Rabbi uh, Moti used to actually hang around with his sister and family, Holon Shuf. And uh, what's interesting for me, and I'm going to just say this right now, and uh, and we can wrestle with this as we go through this, the study, is um, he says, Amos says, look, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet. And uh, so, okay, so that's great. Now that you've just, just, just described what you're not, um, why is God calling you? Like, what's your great characteristic that God would choose you to deliver this message? Because Amos is prophesying, uh, and he describes when he's doing it. We'll read about it when we read the text. He's prophesying uh, during the reigns of the of King Jeroboam and uh, King Uzziah, Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam of uh, Yeroboam of uh, the north, northern kingdom of Israel. And um, both of them, while the northern kingdom is in a bit of a mess and the kingdom a bit less so, but still, uh, 
It's at a time of prosperity. They're actually doing very well. Uh, the Northern Kingdom is actually quite militarily quite doing quite well. It's not, it's, not, it's not in exile in any size, shape or form. It's economically prosperous. And yet you're going to have this message from the Lord. But at this time, there are these things called the schools of prophets. So we actually have bases of training for prophets. And there's not just one or two. They're sort of dotted around. So we have schools of prophets, and yet the Lord is not going to choose one of them. These guys are being trained. These guys are you know, being, being prepared to be prophets of the Lord, but God won't choose one of them. He'll choose someone who's, who's got absolutely no link to the school of prophecy. So why is that? What's wrong with our schools of prophets that we can't use them? So... We'll work on that as we go through the text. But that's the background. One of the background questions I'd like to know, why choose this guy when we've got other schools um, perfectly available, I guess. And um, the, it's interesting that um, the, we don't know. There's no, like Amos is not going to give a lot of uh, narrative in his, in his book to describe what's really going on. There's going to be a little bit. But not much, large sections of these visions and proclamations and declarations. And so when we're the actual a little bit of history that we have around around who Amos is and, and what he's doing is going to be um, rather uh, it's going to be open to a lot of oral tradition and, and background. So his name, Amos, uh, means burden. And that might not see, and sometimes people have often run with that thinking, okay, you know, here's the, this guy has a burden and he's sharing a burden and it's all very burdensome. Um, but we have to remember in context, um, a lot of these people's names are actually short forms of a longer name. They're like your nickname. And uh, his full name is actually Amasia, okay, which is a word, a name you actually see in Second Chronicles 17, 16. And it actually means the Lord carries the burden. And that's very different, isn't it, from the burden. Um, and so one is, is horrible. You've got a burden on you. And isn't it just a weight? And I've just got to start proclaiming and, and, and proclaiming and, and saying all these horrible things. Um, when actually the name is God carries this. There's a burden to be carried. Yes. But who's carrying it? And so the names actually can be can come across as actually quite positive instead of instead of quite negative. Uh, I also wanted to note that as, as in a lot of prophets, except for Elijah and Elisha, uh, this this guy is a seer. He's a he's he sees a vision. It does not say the spirit of the Lord filled me up and I began began to prophesy. Okay. The spirit falls on Elijah and Elisha. And what's interesting is they don't write books, just like Jesus. Spirit falls on Jesus, and he doesn't write a book either. Could have. Could have sat down and said, okay, John's in prison, so I think I shall pen the penultimate uh, understanding of the kingdom of heaven. You'll all read it a thousand years from now, and you'll be great. That's actually not, not what happens. Um, so I think we have to keep that in mind as we discuss who are real prophets, what do they really do, what does it actually mean to suddenly either see a vision or get filled um, by by uh, by the spirit now, a lot of various themes that we might see in this book obviously judgment's a big one judgment is looming a lot of questions about why do evil people prosper i mean here we have the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south kingdom of the north is doing really bad but at the time that amos prophesies 
it doing really well. It's uh has not been invaded, it is not in exile. He's now to prophesy. So when do actually prophets give their tasks? When do they actually do their do their preaching? Do they do it while the destruction is occurring, or do they do it before? Or do they do it after and tell everybody this is the reason why you just all went into captivity? Um, like what really is this book trying to tell us in the past and in the future? Okay, what is, it, what is it speaking to us now? How is God proclaiming his message? Or as we're going to see in verse 2, how is he roaring, trying to, to get attention? Uh, Rabbi Mordecai, Moti, you around? I am. I'm here. Fantastic. <laughs> you got a little bit of background uh, from the from your Jewish notes on the, uh, the book of Amos? Right. I mean, they, I have been searching about it since we met, and... It's very interesting that Amos is mentioned in the notes of the Lubavitcher Rebbe as one of the clever and brave prophets of the history because it says Amos was not afraid to appear in Bethel at the very time when crowds were gathered there to worship the golden calf, which Jeroboam, the first, you know, had set up in a special temple. So, I mean, we will see it through, I mean, through, throughout the book. Uh, I'm just uh, saying what he did. Like you're a prophet, and there's like an alternative temple. And there are pilgrims, you know, so-called pilgrims going to worship the golden cow. And in the very midst of the celebration, Amos announces the terrible punishment that God would bring upon the sinful, sinful people of Israel. The crowd, of course, naturally becomes very angry. And their leader, as we will read, the false priest Amaziah, encourages the people to do violence to Amos. But the king Jeroboam protects the protect. And it goes like this, as we will continue to read it. It's nine chapters. It consists of nine chapters. Uh, but despite the several mornings and so scary prophesizing, it ends, I mean, he finishes his prophecies on a happy note, as we will see and read, that that day, on the day of true redemption, will I rise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the old days of old. It's not like a scary book, you know, but it's just a book of a journey of a brave prophet in the midst of darkness. That's uh, interesting that you mentioned where he prophesies in the midst of dark. He's going to deliver his message, as you mentioned, at a place called Beit El. And just like you mentioned, this is unfortunate where Jeroboam the first, not the one that we're talking about in this book, this is guys called Jeroboam the second, much later, uh, Jeroboam the first had split uh, the kingdom of Solomon and had unfortunately set up uh, idol worship. So, so I find it very interesting for myself. Like, where is this prophecy going to occur? It's going to occur in some of the darkest places. There's a, um, there are false gods being worshipped. I mean, who really knows exactly traditions that were going on around these sites? And he must have been incredible. Like, did you say that the the Lubavitcher Rebbe thought he was a very brave prophet? That's what you said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because he is. I mean, this is this is bravery. I'm going to a place. They are not going to like what I'm going to say, uh, but I'm going to have to say it anyway. And uh, and that's that. Go ahead. He also reminds us them the like all the kindnesses which God has shown them since the beginning of the history of Jewish people, 
it's not like an angry guy just going and telling, ah, why are you not coming to Yerushalayim? What is this temple here? He's a reminder, but he's, at the same time, he's brave. He could just sit in his yeshiva or midrash and just prophesy from there. But he goes there and he waits until they start worshiping. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's very brave. You know? I also I also admit my own personal struggles when I read the prophets, because these guys are giving warning, incredible warning but who's listening yeah. and then i look at my own world today the world you and i live in, and we say who's speaking into this world who's trying to share the truth and um you know we, we all we all admit it's not always easy to find a um a, a, an honest passionate voice there's a few that we could could probably draw but not many and then you you wonder who's actually listening right. and and why are they not and then suddenly you realize Oh my gosh, out of all of human history, we haven't changed. What What is it about us that we love darkness? I mean, that's exactly what the New Testament said right at the beginning of John, right? The light came into the world, but men love the dark. And uh, you think, what, why? What What's wrong with us that we, we always look for that? And so this book, while being very ancient, my gosh, actually speaks uh, to, to our modern world in a lot of ways. So thank you, everyone, for also this, this prophet. Um, but as uh, um, Mordecai was mentioning, he might start off with um, some very, very strong words. But at the end, he does remind us that God God has a, is, a, is a redeemer and he does make everything right. And so sometimes you have to wait right to the, get that little little glimmer of, of hope, which also then helps me in our dark world today. It's going to be hell in a handbasket. Um, so is there any hope at all? Well, of course there is. There sure is. And so, so what that also, hand raised? Uh, oh yeah, uh, what do you? Uh, also, I just realized that he is—he's not only talking about religious or spiritual issues, as you see here. It's talking about the the beasts of Bashan, you know, that are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. He's also mm-hmm. uh, warning them about the ethics. You know, it's not only spiritual. He's not going. He's not only going to the temple. And inviting them back to do Teshuvah to come to God of Israel, but he's also talking about these people who's crushing the needy yep. and living yeah. on the mountains. That what they are doing is indeed wrong. Thanks. That's also good. Most of the prophets of the Bible, if I do all of them, they don't just argue theologically. We have to remember that Judaism and Christianity is supposed to be prakay. It's not just theological pie in the sky. Everything just sits in your head and we all sit around uh, tables with our, our books and scrolls. Eventually, you have to leave that study table. And you've got to walk out the front door and you physically got to put it into practice. And uh, and so the prophets are also you know, uh, urging rich and poor. Act like you really do have faith in the Lord. That you've actually learnt something from the teachings of God. Put those into practice. And uh, so we should be encouraging each other to do exactly that. Uh, in this dark world, in this world that we might want to rage against, in this world that we might see a lot of, um, perhaps uh, not a lot of hope per se, we've got to turn around and say, but I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And my light that shines from that, that's going to be impactful. I'm going to affect my little bit of the world, my little bit, just that little bit better. All right, so Vida, you've got a hand raised. Question, Aaron. Amos also is a very neat in a sense that he's not just prophesying to Israel. 
he's prophesying to the nations round about quite uniquely because it's it's very specific that he has you know Egypt and uh, Damascus and all of that and it's fascinating what you were saying about who's listening because these nations would never listen to a Israeli prophet anyway you know a Jewish prophet so I find that quite an interesting question to ponder why yep. he's bringing this message to that to all these nations as well. Thanks for raising that point, Vita, because I forgot to mention at the start that our dear little brother Amos is actually around um, uh, other other prophets. He sort of like crosses over with people like Isaiah and Jonah. And uh, you think, you know, but Jonah, of course, does go to a Gentile city, so they get to hear him. But you've got to admit, you know, you're right, just what you're saying. Amos is sitting around saying his message in Beit El. How does Egypt hear him? You know, what does the king of Assyria care, you know, that there's some little guy, shepherd boy, hanging out, you know, just north of Jerusalem, um, telling everybody, woe is the woe is uh, the Lord, you know, where doom is coming. It's a good question. Who is listening? And I hope that at end of every session, we're able to say it's us. But that's going to be one of the things we can say. But, uh, okay, I'm listening. Even if they're not, I, I am. God's word doesn't return void. But yeah, good, good point. Who is listening to this to this place? All right. Okay, guys, let's have a read of the text. And um, I'll read. It's 15, 15 verses, so I'll give it a go. Um, personally, I am reading from the New American Standard. Now, why am I reading from a New American Standard? Uh not because I woke up one day and had an epiphany and decided this is the best version ever. Um, it was something like this. I reached on my bookshelf where I have lots of different versions and I took one that had Hebrew and English on either side, just happens to be in a New American Standard. Okay, um, I'm one of those guys who thinks that uh, there's, there's, there's a treasure and, um, and probably a little bit of a fault in all translations. They are by default translation so you want to know what what really the text says go learn some biblical hebrew people but uh and even then you probably still struggle because some words only appear once or twice so guys here we go um whatever version you're listening to fantastic the words of amos who was among the sheep herders from tekoa which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Yerovam, son of Yoash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and from Jerusalem. He utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of the, of the Carmel dries up. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and I will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the garbate of Damascus, and I'll cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Aven. And him who holds the scepter from Beit Eden, so the people of Aram, they'll go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population and they delivered it up to Edom. So I'll send fire upon the wall of Gaza and it'll consume her citadels. I will also cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod 
and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord God. Now thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom, and they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and I'll consume her citizens. Thus says the for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. As he pursued his brother with the sword, while he stifled his compassion, his anger also tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So I'll send fire upon Teman, and it'll consume the citizens of Botsrah. And so thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four, I will not Provoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their border. So I'll kindle a fire on the walls of Rabbah and it'll consume her citizens amid war cries on the day of battle and the storm on the day of tempest. Their king will go into exile, he and his princes all together. Thus says the Lord. Wow, a lot going on there. But uh, obviously, the first chapter is prophesying against five gentile nations so initially i probably guess the uh the people who heard this thought great this is awesome we don't mind those guys getting done in you know um say some more you know like roll on amos um because really none of these guys are good we're not talking about maybe eden because he may or i mean he's definitely a cousin but uh, still perhaps not not the cousin you want to invite over for your family Christmas. Um, uh, but uh, but the other guys are pretty bad seeds. So let's have a look. Uh, the words of Amos, okay, uh, the burden, or what we have also known as God actually carries the burden. He is the burden bearer. Uh, he's a shepherd or the sheep herders, although the actual word that they use there isn't um, uh, 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 roe for for word for sheep herder it actually is um a different word which which implies um sheep breeder that he's actually got to be a skill in his craft not just one of the guys who just simply tends the, the flock so that's an important job but uh the the guy who actually can manipulate the gene create the the unblemished sheep and goats that are required for sacrifice so he gets a, a vision he gets a he gets a chaza, he gets a uh, he sees something. Okay? The spirit of the Lord doesn't fall upon him. Um, he actually sees something, which he then sends back a, a a message. So in the New Testament, who gets to see something? Yeah, very famous book. What does uh, who's the seer? New Testament. John. John. Correct. John looked, saw into heaven. And he, so it's not that the Holy Spirit fell upon him and he suddenly got and just started prophesying. He actually got to see something. So you're looking at a character, Amos is having the same sort of visions, Chazon, just like John has done. Okay. He's seen something, um, probably a bit shocking for him, just like John had no idea, you know, really how to grasp what he was seeing. But uh, then he, he immediately, both, one wrote it down. Uh, although he actually asked an angel, help me out here. Um, here, Amos um, has to uh, start to proclaim out loud what he's actually seen. It gives you the time period um, between the two kings, uh, Uzziah and Yeroham. And um, uh, it's interesting for me that 
Yerovam is the king, Yerovam II, who's in charge of a very prosperous um, Israel at the time, uh, has the same name as the guy who begins to lead Israel into idolatry, um, which I, I, I sometimes think that can't be coincidence per se. The story of Yerovam is a very, very interesting one. And uh, it's found in, uh, in Kings, Kings chapter 11. You get this, uh, this uh, the kingdom of Solomon is about to break up. Solomon, wisest of men, hasn't been as smart as he was supposed to. Has unfortunately allowed his wives to lead portions of Israel and maybe even himself idolatry. And uh, God's had enough. And so the kingdom is ripped apart. And uh, his son, uh, Rehovam, gets to keep the, uh, the southern portion, which is Judah, uh, Benjamin, and actually Simeon. Simeon's actually wrapped up. I know he always say he gets two tribes, but he kind of also gets a little bit more. Levites are there as well. Uh, and, um, and, the, uh, and he does poorly. He really chooses to increase taxes and do all kinds of things. While he stays true to the Lord, he doesn't manage his economy. Um, Jeroboam, Yerovam, gets a, 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 a meeting by a prophet called Achia. Um, we're not sure who this prophet is. He gets his name. Anyway, so that's, that's pretty important because sometimes a lot of these guys get no names. But Achia, my brother is God, um, which is a really cool name, who, whose dad called him that. And wouldn't you like to be the brother of Achia? Okay, you get to say, "Guess I'm actually his brother." Ask him what his name is, you know. Um, and uh, so Achia comes up to Jeroboam and says, "The Lord is going to give you ten kingdoms." I'm paraphrasing here, but you can read the whole story in one Kings eleven twenty nine to forty. And the paraphrased version goes like this: that Achia comes up to Jeroboam and says, "Your God is going to give you ten kingdoms, ten the wealthy bits." Not the poor desert bits, the wealthy bits, the bits with the bits with access to the Mediterranean. Now, what is Mediterranean? Medi, middle, terran, earth, middle of the earth. Okay, this is this. The people were thinking that the that the center of the world was right there. Okay, they're in it. They're in the center of the world. This is a great place to be. We're going to have ports. We're going to be able to export. We're on the spice route, Silk Road, you name it. Um, we're going to be able to tax people out the Brass Razu. We're wealthy. We have a pretty good army. Uh, we're going to be able to expand. And usually we've got God on our side, although we tend to abandon him almost. And so Achia says to Jeroboam, if you follow the commandments of God, God is going to make you as great as the house of David. Oh my gosh, what an incredible prophecy, right? You've just been told from the Lord. Now, we've, the Messiah is going to come through the house of David, okay? But things have gone a little bit pear-shaped over here in uh, the Middle East. And, um, and But you're going to have 10 tribes. Now, if you obey the Lord, you'll be just as famous as, and as powerful and as influential as the house of David. What do you think? And instead of saying, awesome he uh he goes completely off the rails and uh, and, and engages in in setting up idol worship in the north and south of his territory and probably everywhere in the middle as well but two major centers and uh begins to lead uh the, the people of god astray which of course then begs the question what's the question that you immediately 
have to ask. The question is, what is God doing? Seriously, there wasn't another king that Achia could have gone up to and said, hey, you do. I mean, Jeroboam's not a king. He's not He's not royal in any way, size, shape, or form. He's been working in the house of David, in the house of uh, Solomon. But uh, there was nobody in all of the 10 tribes. There was no one in Ephraim. There was no one in Asher hanging out in Nahariya. There was no one, you know, in, in Menashe. He's got two portions of territory. Somebody in his territory must have been uh, actually a God-fearer. They could have been better, but uh, that's not, not what happened. So we, um, it's very interesting that, the, that Achia comes and says, you know, you do this, and then he says he goes the complete opposite, and uh, and so he then begins to lead people astray. And it's in his namesake that uh, Amos comes forward to declare something. And, uh, what's he going to declare? He's going to he's going to initially say, "The Lord roars from Zion." It's not. This is the word of the Lord. Hearken thee to the Lord speaking softly and gently. This is actually a roar. This is a lion's roar. Something has um, has so kindled the Lord that his first utterance is a lion's roar. So it denotes definite anger on the, the behalf. We also get this little bit of time, two years before the earthquake. And uh, I, I, I was there was a few commentaries that were trying to actually pinpoint the exact date. But really... Um, I, I, the, the best commentary was one that said, actually, geologically, we know that earthquakes have happened and we can give you a rock approximate time period, but not really. Okay? So um, there was one and it was obviously a big one because uh, Zachariah also mentions this earthquake. So there was a definite, a definite uh, something happened that um, people could then make time about, they, you know, two years before the earthquake, one generation after the earthquake. Um, it's like our modern day calendar. You know, I always get a bit of a chuckle when you talk to people and they say BCE, 100 years BCE, 100 years CE. And you go, really? Uh, before the common era. What does that actually mean? Oh, that was that was the time period when we started counting. What was the event that made us start counting time at that time? It doesn't matter whether you try and take Jesus out of the picture. You can't. You actually still count human time by him, even if you don't like him or don't believe in him or don't even think he existed. He's had that much of an effect on human history is that we're still counting time by this guy. Okay, I always get a bit of a chuckle about it. Best thing to say, BC, before Jesus, before Christ, before Messiah, AD, in the year of our Lord. What a great way to talk about time. All right. Okay, so you may as well say that. Anyway. I'm off my soapbox. Let's go have a look at uh, the text. The Lord roars, and he roars from Zion and from Jerusalem. And so those two things are, are paired together. So here's my uh, first question. What does Zion mean? Any idea? Well, the word means parched place. But Well done. Excellent. Did you get? Did your commentary say that, or did you look it up, or have you, you known that one? I have a very good uh, Bible app where I can touch on a word, and it'll give me the original Hebrew meanings. It's got a concordance, so I cheated. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, the word Zion, Zion, isn't actually a Hebrew word. Um, it's a Hittite word, and it means exactly what you just said, right? It means the mark, to mark down. There's a spot on the planet that's marked. Now, just because something's not a Hebrew word doesn't mean um, you can't use it. Because right? uh, remember, okay, Jewish people are very good at taking other things that are superimposed on them and owning them, like 
stars of David, which were once put on them to say, oh, you know, dirty Jew, you're horrible. And they turned around and warned them like a badge of pride and said, you know what? I'm going to shove this on my national flag, actually. You know, um, we're, we're pretty good at this. And, uh, and Jewish people are very good like that. Like Moses's name, that's not a Hebrew word, Moshe. Okay? And, uh, but don't worry, it is now. Okay, let's say we're going to, he, even he doesn't even change it. Right? He says, oh, I'm going to keep this one. And, uh, and, and large numbers of Jewish pulled up. And, um, oh, there's a question there from Sandra. Michael, what app do you use? So anybody who's listening on podcast, what's the really cool app? It's called Literal Bible. And I Literal use the Bible. NASB. Okay. Downloaded from the app store, is it? Yes. Okay, guys, download that from the app store. Um, free, is it? Michael? Yes. Oh, there you go, guys. Everybody's going to do it right now. Okay. So um, good app. Click on a word. Get to know its meaning. And um, uh, got to remember, when, when, when King David captured the citadel of Zion, it was pre-named before him, you know, full of Jebusites. Uh, what was the first thing he tried to do? Let's rename the place. Okay. I shall call this the city of David. Okay. That's a really cool name. Inspired by the Lord, I'll tell you. And uh, but then the people, the, the, even the Jewish people, the Israelites, they didn't forget the name. They kept it. And even David is like, oh, OK, dang it. I can't I can't replace this. So um, I'll even put it in the Psalms. And he owns it. And, and even God owns it. Right. So now God rules from the mark. Maybe he even set that up. But anyway, um, uh, he, he, he owns it himself. Zion, Jerusalem, those places are synonymous with each other okay uh vida you've got a hand raised just a quick question you when you were saying it you were saying the lord roars from zion but my bible implies that it's will roar it's a future tense thing so i was just wondering what does it actually say in hebrew is it a future tense that he's going to roar or is it something that he's doing now okay it's a good question and the answer is uh in in biblical hebrew most things are actually written in future okay um uh that's actually just the way it is and what happens is the beginning of the sentence starts uh viyomar and which literally means and he will say okay but um the 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 in biblical hebrew the vav is what's called a conversive vav it means it takes the future tense and actually switches it into past tense so even though it's actually written in future it's actually read as in past because I always find it interesting in the book of Exodus that uh, God says, uh, you know, um, build me a tabernacle and I will dwell with you. Right? And of course, in Hebrew, that's all in future tense. You will build me a tabernacle and I will dwell with you. And, uh, and so what that means is, so let's put our Jewish caps on. If we read things that are in both future and past, how should we read? Which one are they? Yeah. And I think that's the, one of the very, very beautiful ways that we've got. God roars from Zion and he will roar from Zion. Build, you have built me a tabernacle, so I'm dwelling with you. And you will build me a tabernacle in the future and I'll dwell with you then. These ideas that show up in our text. So um, what version have you got that said that? It's a King James. Yeah, King James has said that. Interesting. Okay. All right, cool. That's a, that's a very good because that's actually literally what it's written, but it's, uh, the context is it's also a conversive vote. So uh, God roars from, from Zion. He is 
there's some sort of reaction. Something's been building up and God is not going to tell this little shepherd boy from Tagoa, hey, go speak nicely to people um, and tell everybody I'm slightly miffed. Okay. You know, this whole, um, this whole golden cow thing didn't really like it the first time, not really, really fussed with it the second time. Um, do you mind putting it away? Uh, no, we've really got some, um, a rather strong, strong, uh, shout here from the Lord. So God's actually really, um, coming through with a call and he, and as he utters, now, remember, Amos is a shepherd, so he's really going to his first image and motif is about how the shepherds feel about this, which is everything shakes, right? These poor guys, every, everything is, is, is shaking. The animals are probably terrified. They may have been running or even just scared witless. And, um, and uh, Carmel, which is normally a very fertile part of Israel, uh, all dries up. Like the, the, when God speaks, there's an effect on the world. Um, Okay, so that gets everybody's attention. Now, now we're ready for the Lord to actually speak. And then he turns around and he starts talking about all our enemies. So we're all very happy with chapter one. So we can go down the list of all these bad guys and, uh, and see. And I bet if I ask right now, um, anyone here want to prophesy against our modern world? I'm sure we'd all be able to say something yes, <laughs> about those guys. Okay, pick one. Right. Um, if we're Republicans, we can say something nasty about the Democrats. If we're Democrats, we can say something nasty about the Republicans. And if we're monarchists, we can tell all these non-monarchists how wrong they are. And uh, you know, etc., etc., etc. There's always somebody we can yell at. And and I think what's really good is um, uh, yeah. So, so we've got a, a a little text here from Andrew in the in the chat. I wonder how the people of the large Northern Kingdom, and it was it was the wealthy part of the split felt when a shepherd from the south those um those those you know hicksters from the south you know who walked around with you know uh, pieces of wheat stuck out of their teeth you know comes up and started saying the lord will roar not from you not from your great capitals of which they did have some and they had some mighty fortresses that you can still go and visit if you come and do a nice tour of Israel. Go and see Megiddo and, and Lachish and some Chatzor and see some really good, strong, strong fortifications. It's going to come from this, uh, the poor south. Uh, Duck Dynasty is going to tell you what's true. That uh, obviously annoys everybody living. So we begin with uh, judgment. It's Damascus. Oh, Michael's got a comment here. I've just completed a course on intercession. Well, that sounds interesting. And the focus was, if we see something that offends us, our first reaction should be to pray. Very good point. Often not our first reaction, but very good point. To stand in the gap between evil on earth and pray God's mercy from above. Yeah, that's a good point. Because obviously, well, let's all admit, including myself, obviously our first reaction is to get um, to get angry. And uh, thus saith the Lord, your, your doom. Um, one of the things we were talking about uh, just recently in the character of God is from Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. God defends the guilt. It's one of his characteristics. Well, why would he do wow. such a thing? And then we realize. Uh, we're all I'm, guilty. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm really kind of glad that's what he does. So um, that's, a, that's a good point. So here we have, though, the prophet okay, roaring or declaring the roar against the north and then you get this interesting phrase for three transgressions and for four so it's that's not a real number 
Okay, it's not that uh, there were three and then uh, God's actually going to add a fourth sin because he's all forgot what the fourth one was. Okay, that's like saying, um, here we are studying Judaism 101. Okay, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's a phraseology, right? You know, Jewish roots 101. Okay, let's call 911. Okay, there are certain numbers that pop up and everybody just knows what they mean. Right. Um, funny thing about Israel is you can actually call 911 and you will get the police, <laughs> even though actually the real police number here is 100. Okay, but uh, but you know everybody just seems to know certain numbers. And uh, for this prophet, uh, for three transgressions and for four, is going to be his little call sign of um, of. Uh, uh, let me tell you about our little brother and sisters over there in Damascus. Uh, and Damascus has got some uh, transgressions. So um, anyone know what's been going on in Damascus at around this time period? So Damascus is, the, is a very old city. It's one of the oldest inhabited cities on the planet. Uh, it claims a, um, a, a time period of 5,000 years habitation. Okay? Um, some of the other older ones are like Jericho also claims very old habitation so a lot of archaeology there a lot of people but because it's been so old it also has had a lot of time to develop a power base so it is the regional capital and um, it, as an Arab capital today in the Arabic world um, even though Syria is a bit of a basket case people still listen to whoever's sitting and rule in Damascus just simply because of its uh, antiquity and its uh, its power and it was a power base now Israel, the northern kingdom, had a uh, tentious border with Syria. And um, uh, actually, a couple of kings prior to Jeroboam and Jeroboam himself, their armies dealt a very severe blow to Syria. They, they went there and they did a number on them. So um, the, the Syrians were, had, had become quite weak and uh, Syria had taken over and uh, well, that pretty much left so then Assyria bordered Israel, a strong Israel. So Syria hadn't in Assyria, sorry, hadn't invaded yet. And uh, so that left Israel to be quite, quite, quite prosperous. But now the power center had turned to this rather large empire called the Assyrian Empire. And um uh and it gets to inherit all the sins of the thing it took over, which is an interesting thought, isn't it? So um where uh and uh, so uh, the Damascus has been rather evil, and uh, uh, they this 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 discussion of um, they they thrashed Gilead, they they beat up some of the tribes of Israel, and that wasn't very nice of them, and uh, and so they're due a uh, a comeuppance, and God says, I will not revoke its punishment. Now, what does that mean? do you think it's not prophecy it's apocalypse there you go there's this there's this appointed time and god's not saying i'm going to withhold this it's appointed there is a punishment due this empire it's not that um i need to say anything they've done something wrong there's going to be a consequence there's a reaping to sowing now unfortunately there are some people uh, in our world who don't think that that principle still exists that you don't reap what you sow you can do whatever you like because god's all merciful and uh you know really um just do whatever you like however uh if you read the book of galatians paul's going to tell you very clearly you still reap what you sow okay and so that that principle 
follows right through from the creation of the world until right to the end. And Damascus is due its reaping. And God says, I'm not going to withhold it. It's coming. It's even, dare I say, and don't take these words out of my hands. It's out of my hands. It's, um, this is the reward of what they have done. Uh, and so uh, uh, we, we begin to talk about their kings and cities. So Hazel, Ben-Hadad, these are very famous kings of, of Damascus. Uh, the gates of Damascus um, will be taken away and they'll be exiled. Uh, so their future is exile, not to be wiped out, which is an interesting thought. Like not lots of nations get exiled and not wiped out. Yeah? Obviously, Jewish people, famous of the ones, but uh, the Assyrians uh, get that too. And uh, they end up uh, going away to Kir, okay? um, which is actually prophesied. It, it's prophesied here in, in Amos, and it actually shows up in fulfillment in 2 Kings uh, 16, verse 9. You actually get the actual fulfillment of this actually going away to the direct place called Kia. And I have absolutely no idea where that is. Um, uh, but anyway, it, it, uh, it's where they go. So Damascus the, uh, gets, gets exiled. That's their future punishment. Um, I could just imagine the people going to worship false god going, cool, sounds good to me. Uh, what what else you got? Uh, someone give this guy a coin, you know, so he can keep prophesying it a little bit more. So he does. And so the Lord continues to roar. Now we start to talk about Gaza. And oh my gosh, we all like to talk about Gaza because Gaza is still giving us problems, right? Okay. And um, uh, in Hebrew, the, uh, the, the, it's actually Aza, and, uh, uh, which means which has been stronghold. And it really was. It, it uh, is a Philistine stronghold and still is a stronghold. It is really hard to take. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the geography of the area other than i always thought it was just a big bunch of piles of sand i must be completely wrong um because uh the british when they were coming up in world war one they fought two battles of gaza and they lost something like uh 10 to twenty thousand men okay? huge commonwealth war cemeteries are actually uh, still in gaza today it is in the past to this day has been a stronghold. It is a very well-named place. There is a Philistine city, and he lists a whole bunch of other Philistine cities like uh, Ashdod, you know, and Ashkelon, which are today um, port cities inside Israel. <laughs> you know, it's a bit of bit of irony there that once these were Philistine capitals, uh, they're now actually um, centers of trade and commerce. And a lot of Russian Jewish immigrants. Okay, uh, if you ever want to go down to Ashdod and Ashkelon, brush up on your Russian. Okay, uh, there, there, there are people who are running around living. But uh, what's their doom? So we we know what the the Philistine problem is. Um, they are uh, the Greek Sea Peoples. They attempted to invade Egypt. They failed. Ramesses kicks them out. They move up the coast, settle in Gaza, and then they cause Israel a lot of problems. And they stick around until this prophecy. I mean, at this point, God's had enough. Right? We're done, guys. And uh, I will not revoke its punishment. It is also due something. It will reap what it sowed. Now, what's their big punishment that the prophet lists? There, there were many things that they did wrong. Um, but here, the, the, and I remember also, also, prophecy is also poetry. So it's not that this is the only sin that they did. 
And if they hadn't have done this one, they would have actually been fine. Okay, that's actually not true. But there's a there's there is something here that they that that does cause um, the profit to to uh, decide to share. Um, Teresa, you've got a hand raised. Yeah, they, it says in one of the commentaries I'm looking at that they were slave trading. They were involved with Edom in slave trade. Yes, that, that that's true. The they now can you or can you not? own slaves in the hebrew bible you, you can you can that's right so it's so it's the so so that the the punishment is not oh my gosh you captured slaves you know you're toast because i could just imagine israel going uh oops um you're free Whew. yeah i he was i he, i never really had him he's um he's just a friend um, you know, Israel had slaves too, um, and uh, even after Jesus, they had slaves. Um, uh, there's a there's a famous midrash uh, where, which I use as a proof text to to allow myself to go and actually pray mincha um, prayers with a group of Jewish people. Is um, Eliezer ben Hirkonos um, was at a was at a synagogue, and uh, they only had nine people for their minyan. But, oops, we need a tenth. So it said, Eliezer went home, freed his slave, and brought him to prayers. Okay, so here's our rabbi going to pray. He's got a slave at home, eh? and then the idea is, uh oh, we need we need a, we need a tenth righteous person. Where are we going to find one of them? I'll go make one. Right, <laughs> <laughs> runs off. Hey, uh, got a got a new job for you. You're free, but come come say some prayers with me. And uh, and so uh, it's a, it's an interesting. It's a midrash. What is a midrash? I hear you ask. Uh, well, actually, it's not a story. It's not, that's not a midrash. That's a a piece of history where they just, where they talk about um, the life of a rabbi to make a point. And the point was um, that uh, anyone can come and join a minyan. There is their thing. And uh, but anyway, slavery in and of itself isn't an inherently um, now, now be very careful when I say this, okay, non-biblical thing, because you were actually supposed to eventually free slaves in the Bible. That was never, ever, ever meant to be the human condition. But they did realize that as part of the life cycle of a community, that people who couldn't pay off their debts would become indentured servants to people who, who were thieves that, that needed to pay back their what they had stolen would then work for their wage and that would be a form of service and uh, and so would prisoners of that uh, going into and defeating an enemy you would then capture all these people well you can't put them to death i mean right and just letting them go uh to turn around and stab you in the back well, you can't do that either so there was this form of uh, uh servanthood and uh, but it had rules and they and the and one rule is they eventually became free what what gaza was doing was they were they didn't need these slaves and selling they were deliberately going out and saying well you know we've got a really good uh, good uh, lucrative uh, industry here we don't grow food we don't make cotton you know we don't uh, dig mines we sell that still goes on today isn't that sad that human trafficking is still an incredible curse on this world and it's horrible and and israel unfortunately does it too what do i mean by that not on a national stat there are there are unfortunately uh, criminal gangs in this country which partake of the middle east and slave trade take blondes because we don't have a lot of them and uh, trick them to come to the middle east take away their passports and then sell them to into slavery 
and uh, and actually Christchurch works with some of them. There are lots of other groups too that those that are that are found and set free. Uh, but uh, there is a there is a punishment due for this. The Gaza is going to get it, and what's their gloom? Fire, cut off. Um, I will unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish. This is not. Let's go into exile so you can come back once you've learned your lesson. This is no more. There's a very strong roar. Now, some of us might be able to handle exile. Okay? At least there's some survivors. There's a, there's a, we might die, but the, the kids will survive. Family tree will continue. But this is um, very strong. So the Philistines disappear. And, uh, and that's, a, that's, a, um, that's a very strong word. I remember when Yasser Arafat very stupidly said, um, we are descendants of the Philistines. I, I don't think you are. <laughs> um, you might have to choose another genealogy, mate, because uh, they're all gone, right? Um, plus, they're Greeks, by the way, and you're not. So, uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Amos has, a, yeah, has, has given, look, the raw says these guys go away, okay? There is a punishment, and God himself says, I'm not going to stop this. And then we get Tyre. We get the, 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 the Phoenicians now. Now, they had actually been initially quite good relations with Solomon that at least supplied him with cedar and you know that engaged in good diplomatic relations and, you know things have been positive but unfortunately they had uh, soured and what was their big problem slave trade as well they also were rather addicted to this uh, lucrative money and uh, the selling of other humans and um, and uh, and they weren't supposed to do that and it says you know they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood now what brotherhood are we talking about not sorry yeah uh, the Edomites, you know, they, they shouldn't have been doing this kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, Tyre had been friends with the north, with, with, with Solomon. You know, there was actually a, a relationship, part of the house of God, them. And they had sent some, yeah, was skilled workers. Uh, but, uh, you know, the you reap, you sow, uh, and Tyre is, uh, is done. Now, I, I don't know whether that is is a like alexander the great actually conquers this too now i don't know whether that's the t what they're talking about but there's no actual sort of that i could find being a biblical reference to say this is definitely when it happened but but what what we can say is that um these these sort of phoenicians aren't there anymore um while lebanon is a beautiful country it's a bit of a basket case um of of leadership right now it, it really is in a bit of a mess uh, if anybody wants to spare a, a prayer for lebanon please do so because um they're a mess yeah uh, we do have some brothers and sisters in lebanon working and that is a good thing they are shining their light in a very dark place which is exactly where you're supposed to shine it right where's amos do giving his message in a very dark place right he's not hanging out in the temple in jerusalem saying let me all tell you about damascus and you're, oh this is fantastic Okay, um, he's he's going, he's crossing the boundaries and uh, putting himself on the line, dare I would say, and saying something. I mean, right now, this is what people want to hear. Um, I, I find this is a commentary for myself. I find a lot of the prophets of, uh, of the Hebrew scriptures say things that people don't want to hear. And I discover that most of our modern day prophets keep telling me things I want to hear. And I'm not 100% sure that that's right. But that's enough from me. Uh, hand raised. Uh, yeah. I have a question with the covenant of brothers. It's a very unusual phrase of words. Is it a covenant like Laban and Jacob had, 
Or is it is it just because they were brothers? What does that covenant of brothers actually mean? Is it a covenant covenant or, or something just they were brothers? That's a good question. Um, Brit Achim, the covenant of brothers. That's literally what it says. Uh, the first time that a, the word covenant is used, does anyone remember? This is in Genesis. Genesis. 18. Correct. It's the covenant that God makes with Noah, right? So the so whenever a word covenant first appears in the Bible, it's always going to have that nuance um, of its uh, where it appears. So it's always going to have that attached. Like the first time the word love appears is in the sacrifice of of Isaac. Also, the first time the word worship appears is also in the same same passage. So the first so worship, love, sacrifice, they're all inextricably linked together. Well, covenant, God makes a covenant with Noah. What, what's this after he's done? Judgment. He's, yeah, he's flooded the world, but he's also redeemed. So covenants are also going to always have this, this um, aspect of redemption in. So um, there's some something that, you know, they're, they're, this bond was supposed to be redemptive. And instead of being positive and redemptive and beautiful, it uh, ended up having a lot of negative characteristics because we're actually enslaving people and we're doing everything we weren't supposed to do. Instead of redeeming, enslaving, which is the complete opposite. So like, you can sort of kind of see why um, uh, the, the prophets got some, or God through the prophets got some nasty things to say about covenant breakers. Um, Edom gets a, a go next. Uh, three transgressions before for Edom. Edom is, um, well, first of all, it's very close to Israel, but these are literal cousins. These are, um, and, and one of the most famous Edomites of all time. Anyone remember his name? King Herod. Okay, he's a very famous Edomite. And uh, even though he's technically Jewish because his grandfather was forced to convert, um, so even though his bloodline might be Edomite, he really is Jewish. Okay, so if your grandfather converts to Judaism, that means his son would have been your dad's Jewish, which means you are definitely Jewish. So, you know, he's obviously very annoyed when someone shows up from the East saying, hello, where's the king of the Jews? Uh, and his, his answer is, what do you mean? Why aren't you looking at him? Um, but he also knows where his lineage is as well. And uh, Edom is, uh, what's what's going to happen to Edom? Okay, he, again, God, I will not revoke the punishment. You will reap what you sow. This is a universal rule. Very interesting. Like if, if I steal a car and then I get caught by the police and I say, I repent, what happens to me? You go to jail. I still go to jail. That's right. Now, it's fantastic that you repented. It's brilliant that you and the guy you stole your car from are going to get on. You're going to be brothers. You're going to be able to pray together. You might even be able to pay him back, you know, all kinds of stuff. Give him a good paint job because you scratched his car, whatever. But the police are going to be like, that's fantastic. Cuff him, right? Because you still reap what you sow. And, uh, and, uh, and we have to, that, that's actually a thing. And even God says, I'm not going to withhold that. That's, uh, that does not mean that he can't, but here we have a prophetic warning, reaping what you sow, okay? Um, unfortunately, Edom has been rather violent, okay? And, uh, and, uh, and so God is going to also send fire, et cetera, et cetera, and um, uh, you get wrath. You don't get annihilation, okay? You just get, you get this judgment, fury, wrath, anger, um, but there's no... He doesn't say we're off to exile. There's no such, there's no, or we wipe you out and there's no more of you because that's not true because we eventually get to King Herod. Right? He, they, these guys still stick around. Um, Ammon, very similar place. 
descendants of Lot through a very poor uh, choice and uh, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, very horrible people. And uh, you see they're, they're engaged in some terrible acts of human um, uh, horror, which occurs all over the world still to this day. And uh, uh, Ammon's uh, thing is, uh, is exile and they are taken out of their land. So it's an interesting that these, those were the first, the first uh, uh, roars. The word roar, the Lord roars from Zion, it's also used in a prophet, very similar time period. It's used in Joel, Joel chapter 4, verse 16. It also says, the Lord roars from Zion, and that is his voice from Jerusalem, very similar way of speech. And, uh, and there, um, it's the roar, isn't a roar that shows up and such judging. There, the roar is a roar where God says, come, come find refuge, come find shelter. Look how powerful I am. He roars and he scares all the enemies away and he wants to then shelter his people with himself because he says uh, this is now Joel 4 16 the Lord roars from Zion that is his voice from Jerusalem the heavens and the earth tremble just like the lands around the shepherds okay when the when the Lord roars in this form the heavens and the earth shake and uh, and God is a refuge for his people and a stronghold for for Israel and so we, we just have to remember that just because the we hear the word roar and it's in the, in this context it's all rather negative because we're judging everybody. Um, there are sometimes, there's also a positive side to you know, There are multiple aspects of the character of God. And, uh, and that includes that the same thing that brings judgment can also be the same thing that brings refuge and safety and peace. Right. Okay, so uh, some comments, guys. Uh, let's open it up to the floor. So anything there that jumps out at you with our burden barrier? I'll ask this question, then we'll start. What burden is the Lord carrying? Vengeance. Vengeance and punishment. It's a burden the Lord carries. That's interesting, isn't it? Vida. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's very interesting that it, I agree that it is a judgment. This is what the Lord doesn't want to do, but he knows he's going to. He's, he's just and he will be righteous in his judgment. So he's wanting, obviously, people to repent. But what's interesting to me is why don't, why doesn't it cover all all these nations that God said he's going to really deal with, like um, the Malachites. They're not mentioned here, and yet God's going to wipe them off as well. So it's it's like a partial list. Yeah, yeah. it seems like a partial list. We just sort of start going around the who's hanging out around the north, right? There's Gaza, although he's actually south. But, you know, Lebanon, Syria, Edom, Ammon, you know, these, are the, these are all hanging around uh, northern Israel where we're prophesying. Yeah. And, yep. And uh, uh, let's also remember that on, on this level, it seems all pretty horrible and, uh, and destructive, but Isaiah is going to prophesy a different thing. So he's going to say one day there's going to be a highway between Egypt and Assyria. And some, like, it's all very horrible right now, and everybody will reap what they sow, but that's not where God's going to leave. We're, we're going to eventually get together and, and, and worship. But, but um, uh, why not anybody else? especially Amalek. So I'm just writing down just for my own little notes. Um, the question was, you know, what burden is the Lord carrying? And uh, most of us answered, you know, punishment, vengeance. So he's carrying this, and it might not be that he wants to unload it, but he turns and says, I'm not holding it back. Because um, who's actually going to destroy the Philistines? Other people, other armies. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be, like, the Lord isn't going to just start 
hailing and and and, and raising you know and, and the rivers turn to blood and we get hail and darkness and all that you know sort of exodus plagues um god's actually going to work through other humans and uh they will do something now if god is working through other humans and what they are those humans are doing is horrible and horrific right i mean let's let's say like let's just go and attack gaza it's not it's not it's not a picnic it's not something you do on the weekend for fun you know um you want to go see a movie today no i think i might storm gaza oh fan might join you yeah bring the kids you know it that's it's not it's not like this is not a picnic it's horrible and um but we live in a world where horrible things are happening and we have to be careful that perhaps people are reaping what they sow. That doesn't mean, oh, let's pray for more war. That doesn't say, let's not pray for peace. But let's also have a heavenly God sort of worldview that everyone reaps what they sow. Economies rise and economies fall when we make mistakes. And if we keep disobeying the Lord, there is no reason why things may or may not happen to our civilization and that's very brutal but also very true that doesn't say not saying let's pray for destruction or what i'm but uh, let's have a when, when things like that happen let's also acknowledge there's actually some some descriptions all right so vida i was just going to say erin is it possible that what amos is prophesying here we know has happened to the to these nations we know it did happen but do you think there's also an element of prophetic end time future fulfillment to take place in a sense that the philistines are prophetic as in a lot of the demonic realm and you know these you know if you look more at a spiritual and which i tend to do but a spiritual application to what these you know the amman and philistines represent and we should um we should always, always remember that in Jewish exegesis, you look at the literal and then you begin to look at the, the sort of uh, hints and remes, the allegory. And, uh, and then, you, then you look at the drashah, like you look at how can I make this applicable to my life, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, the reaping and sowing. So make sure it's so good things, et cetera. Um, but then you also have to look at this, the sod, the mystical, the spiritual, and you have to understand that these are heavenly battles as well. And uh, yes, we should always also remember that too, is that when the Lord roars, then he turns around also to the enemy and says, I'm coming for you too. And uh, you also reap what you have sown and uh and so those are also going to so we should also look at it also in terms of angelic spiritual future okay uh these kinds of both national future spiritual uh of the enemies uh of the the rebellions that continually go against the lord spurred on by the enemy i think we should always remember that in the lord's prayer we say deliver us from evil um, we have to remember that in Greek and Hebrew, that actually has a definitive article. The evil, it's uh, ha-ra, the evil one. Do We do ultimately have some someone against us who won't eventually stand. Other comments about this text that anybody got an idea why um, Amos is chosen? Why are we not choosing a one of the guys we've been training in our many schools is it because he's righteous well it doesn't say so could be why not yep it, it, the text doesn't say gives us in fact it gives us so little information about him you get his name which is actually a short form you get his job description okay so he's got a little bit of talent in terms of genetic engineering um and that's pretty much it he's not corrupted okay so that would therefore imply 
that our schools of profits are? That's an interesting thought. Uh, Teresa, can you add? Teresa from well, London. Yeah, I see. I was thinking along a slightly different line, which is that he's a shepherd. He's a very simple kind of, he's at the, the lowest end, really, of the jobs, isn't he? In, in terms of, it's a very simple, poor sort of role, although his is slightly elevated by the breeding part of it. But basically, they are the lowest of the low, aren't they, the shepherds? And God yep. tends to choose very often the simple person, the shepherd, not, not the affluent rich person who perhaps is not so aware of their need. He does at this stage, because um, mm -hmm. the initial shepherds uh, were actually the lords of the realm. So prior to urbanization, you know, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were like clan kings. They might be nomadic, that's true, but they had wealth and they had servants and they had warriors so they could engage in international politics like the Battle of the Five Kings. They were the, the movers and shakers. They were the, the well diggers and the, 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 the people who, who named places and entered into, into, into covenants. Um, and then once, of course, you urbanize, well, then all the wealthy people want to move into town and buy a nice villa. And so who's going to you know, run, look after all my sheep? Well, then it turns out to be the poor people. So exactly what you're saying, now we're at the, the lower end of the socioeconomic status and God chooses him. Uh, just like he chose to reveal to shepherds uh, the Messiah's birth. So I'll take the, the lowest of my socioeconomic strata and uh, say, hey, guys, probably should go into town. Um, really good lamb of God being born there, right? Very interesting. All right, a bunch of hands raised and I'm going to honor all of them. Honor or honor all of them. Uh, Roddy, you're up. You've got, you haven't said much. I was just going to add to all these things. Uh, lower at the socioeconomic uh, line hierarchy, but at the same time, he held a level of respect. Some way, somehow, through his job, his travels, people probably would give an ear to him on some level, even though socioeconomically speaking, lower. But still had a held a level of respect. Good. Thanks, man. He probably did. He does seem to be quite eloquent. He's um he's he, his poetry's really quite good, which is very interesting. Sandra. What actually fascinates me is that there is a school of prophet. I always thought of prophecy as a gift from God, that God gives you that gift and you have the ability to tell. God's word, but to have a school of prophets, it means that something that you learn, like you do a theology course. Yeah, that's no, a really good point. Is um, I I honestly don't know what to how to answer that per se, because all I can say is we we acknowledge their existence from the text, and and it does seem to go against everything we understand about a gift of prophecy. That uh, how can this possibly be something that you learn? But then again, you know the gift of teaching you know how, how many of our teachers just walked out of the desert okay very famous ones in history but um most of them went to bible college <laughs> uh most of them did some language studies uh etc etc uh but it is interesting it is interesting there is a school of prophets what exactly are they learning how are they learning it and where does that come in with the idea of a gift good good questions i i can't answer it but all I can say is that at this time in, in Almos, 
God doesn't choose them. And there must be a reason. Kate, you got a hand raised. Yes, I remembered my question. Somebody was trying to ring me, which stopped me. Um, would, would he have been like a, a sole trader? Would he have been one man? Or would he have had disciples or followers like a rabbi would? Because, you know, for one man to take up a task like that um, would have been quite, quite mighty, really. And um, the other thing about the school of philosophers, I, I presume that um, they would teach them things like how interpretation of dreams and picking up clues in what they hear or see and being aware of seeing. I mean, we, we do it. We do it ourselves. We, we kind of think, oh, I wonder what that means. But anyway, I, the question was, would he have had disciples or someone to help him? Or would he have been on his own? Okay, so the question, um, would he have had disciples? The text doesn't say that he actually had any. Um, the first what appears to be master-student relationships, actually Elijah and Elisha. And um, uh, although even at their time period, they are schools of prophets because they encounter them, right? Um, and uh, which is interesting. Uh, Saul hangs out with a school of prophets and starts prophesying. Right? You know, so they're, they're, they're around, um, but we don't know how they are come about. It doesn't appear as though our little brother Amos um, gathered a school of prophets. He, it, because he himself, while he says, I am not the son of a prophet, right? Um, he him, the actual text doesn't say I'm a prophet. He says, I'm a, I'm a seer. He sees a, a, a chazon, the, which is a, 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 a a seer, uh, S-E-E-R. He has visioned something. But would he uh, have followers in his temple, or would you know? This is my thought: is that I don't know. He, he doesn't actually go. To, he, actually, he doesn't go to the temple. He goes to. Um, uh, he actually inter interacts with some characters. There's little bits of narrative, and when it breaks into the narrative, we'll talk about it. Like why? Why are we breaking into narrative all of a sudden? And who are these characters that we're interacting? Um, but he doesn't sort of wander off into the temple per se. Um, or, uh, but he does say some very, very powerful things in the in the future about uh, uh, a fallen, a fallen, which at this stage hadn't fallen. All right. So uh, Janet, Canada. Well, I just think it's interesting that he says he's not the son of a prophet, as if I mean. To give an example, if if you grow up and your father's a doctor, you learn a lot about medicine because, or, or you, you probably will, you'll be influenced. And so he's basically saying, I haven't really been exposed to, to the prophetic in a way. I've not been to the school. And is this a sort of, is this a, is this a sort of, um, not a claim, but a saying, well, what I'm hearing is from God. And um, he's not really trying to explain why it's happening to him. It's just, it's happening. That, that's kind of how I take it. it, it it's a sort of a, um, he's giving some credence to saying, well, I, I'm not doing this because I'm saying I'm a prophet. Yep. He could really say, thus saith the Lord. And he, he gets off on the back foot in the effect that he's not from the school of prophets. So he's out there prophesying. And people come and they go, well, who are you? Oh, I'm not a prophet. Well, thanks for, you know, telling me why I should believe in you then. You know, um, uh, it's, it's not like, you know, he's been, got his PhD from Harvard or anything. He's, he's, uh, he's shown up, you know, as the sheep breeder from Tekoa, uh, from literally a small backwater of the province of Judah, which is not wealthy on any, any level. Um, that, 
Judah is a vassal state and is always a vassal state, right? And, you know, they, 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 they Zedekiah and, and Hezekiah and a whole bunch of kings keep trying to unvassalize themselves, which constantly leads into trouble. Um, but because uh, they just don't have a big enough army, okay? Uh, that's that's the northern guys' guys uh, purview. But uh, yeah, it's really interesting that this this non-profit prophesies and um, and and the prophets so well trained. All right, uh, Michael. What I see in the first two chapters is thus saith the Lord eight times, and so basically Amos is a pipeline. He is the most open and 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 obedient prophet because. God speaks through him, right through him. He very rarely says anything himself. We don't see any trials and tribulations like Jeremiah uh, went through and so on in Ezekiel. He is just out there. Yes, you're, you're right. There's very little personal narrative of him. There's no prayers. Okay? There are there are over 100 prayers in the Hebrew Bible. None of them appear here. Right? Uh, there's no there's no prayer for mercy, people, uh, a healing, you know, anything like that. Um, it is straight vision. Okay, I've seen something, I have to say something, and bang, you get it, uh, which is interesting because it comes on the back of God has a burden, and he's unleashing his burden. It's that time for me to tell you what's going to happen. I've been holding this, but no more, uh, because there goes our world. It's just like this. We're on. Vida, London, England, or wherever you are. Sorry, because of the way Amos is speaking, um, He's not, it's not saying that he's speaking this to a people or to a group. Right. It's just he has this burden and he's just laying it out. Is this not something perhaps he would have just written down and sent out rather than, if, if you see what I'm saying, as a, as a written, as he's got the vision, right. written this out and given it to, sent it to the kings and, and, the, and the rabbis and whatever they were. Yeah. I mean, I think later on in the text it tells us that he actually delivers this at Beitel. But yeah, it the actual although your what what your what you're saying is very true. The Hebrew is very beautiful in terms of like script. So the 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 constant ways of for three or for four. Thus saith the Lord, Um, you know, you've got uh uh or as it actually says. Um, you know, it's 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 nice Hebrew. It it writes well which is which is how does this guy know how to do that how does a shepherd know how to do that it's not like he's from the school of prophets where you study letters and words um, uh, that's not to say that we don't we don't know that he didn't go to school but um, it's beautiful hebrew and it, it it looks like it should have been written down but it it carries a message of roaring that it was actually a a, a vivid proclamation and uh, janet says is there still the understanding that god speaks in the desert yes all the time he spoke to moses tending sheep in the desert and does this give him some sort of credibility um i think yes because the the leaders are, were always the shepherds of israel and um even the the leadership of israel kings or whoever were always also termed as shepherds and we're going to eventually get a good shepherd and at Sukkot, you always build a sukkah, wanting one of the shepherds of Israel to come and visit you. So, so even though that we have a low socioeconomic economic class, they're still held uh, on a prophetic level in a in a high esteem. So maybe maybe that was a great benefit for him. God looked for a shepherd to be able to uh, give his vision to. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem to get a friend to come along to help him. So, who writes all this eventually? Well, if it is him. He writing really well. It's in class. 
All right, guys. Um, thanks for wrestling with our first our first uh, chapter, chapter two. Sort of kind of continues in in the vein. Um, it's always nice to smash your enemies, but just wait till the books are turned and we start talking about ourselves. Okay, and uh, that's going to happen next. All right. So then, um, all troubles. Um, and then let's let's think about that question. Many of the prophets of the Bible didn't prophesy things you wanted to. Hear. So why is it that all our modern prophets should be used to be a little careful? Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Blessings from Jerusalem. For those that are listening on the podcast, uh, it's great that you're uh, part of our community. And if you do feel that Christchurch is your church or one of your churches, then uh, uh, then it would be great if you would be able to also, as part of your tithes, also send a portion to Christchurch that helps them uh, not only just pay for this podcast but also keep the lights on and all the other various ministries that cmj in christ church actually actually does which are quite a lot so thank you very much for being part of our and uh, and joining in